peeps. Monday, the 5th of February, letter G. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, soon to be joined by the great Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. This is Market Call 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Um, how are you, Dan Nathan? Uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, I feel like we are on the precipice, Guy, mm. of a really big week in the market. I feel like we are, and I, listen, some of you guys, listen, we appreciate you being here. Some of you guys are just here because you love to kind of throw a little shade back at us. Guy, you know what the shade I, is, no, right? no, Can I tell you something? I love it. I, you know, I'm all about it because I'm the first to acknowledge yeah. you know, the last year and a half, whatever year, it's been it's been very difficult for me. So. I, I admire those that push back. I, you know, I don't do it out of any malice. I don't do it because I have some yeah. ulterior motive. I do it because I still have sort of the thoughts of 08 and 09 permeating in my head and people saying, you know, I wish you had warned us then. And I'm not comparing the two, but there are similarities in terms of some of the warning signs. However, that's not what we're tasked to do today. Well, by the way, I was a fast money viewer back then, guy. Sure you were. And you were a very sober sort. You weren't like a, a kind of buy every dip back no, I then. I never was that. I've that. never no, been that You've person. never been that guy. Um, no, but I listen, I, I feel like some of the stuff, and we're going to get to it with Carter. We're going to talk about some blow off tops. Um, you know, I feel like there's some really unnatural stuff. Some of the stuff that you could have been warning about for the last year and been wrong. And by the way, somebody on Fast Money the other night said to me, well, eventually, Dan, you'll be right. Um, but, you know, it's listen, you know, it's important to kind of point some of these things out. Some of you folks are doctors or lawyers or accountants or, you know, bus driver, whatever the hell it is that you do for a living. You're not watching every tick. You're not reading all this stuff or whatever. Right. And so sometimes and it's better like, off for it. Can I tell you something? Because yeah, I mean, off. no, I'm just telling you when you're. When you sit and are laser focus on every tick, every whatever headline, you know, every down tick, up tick, yeah. earnings report. I mean, it's not healthy. But that's listen. We'll talk about. Let's look at our rundown because Amanda and the team built. A, I love the graphics, by the way. Yeah, uh, right? The U.S. economy on an unsustainable path. I don't know. That sounds like my man PTJ. We'll look at that. Blow off tops. Buying some crash protection. Love that. That's right out of the Jim Chanos playbook. And we're going to do an aisle check on healthcare, actually a chart checkup on healthcare. But I just like saying aisle check on like, you know, aisle seven or something. Yeah. And don't be that person, by the way, that goes through the aisles and knocks something down and pretend you didn't see it. That's bullshit. I've actually been behind those people. I'm the guy that picks up the bag of uh, chips that you knocked off and puts them back in the right place. Sorry, please. Yeah. Well, are you? I, also, I do that. I, I mean, I'm just telling you, I do that. Are you also the sort of guy? Like, I know you would never use this term, but if you're walking behind someone on the street and they just toss garbage on the ground, does that infuriate? I was, I was on it my makes block. Me, makes me crazy. I actually called this woman out. I literally, she, she literally got done eating. She had like one of those plastic bags, you know, from a deli. She just tossed it on the sidewalk. Like the sidewalk was just like a dump. And I was like, lady, well, what gives here? You know? And this I picked it up and threw it out. No, she was you like, know what? It's it's interesting because as we're, Amanda's like, guys, Not please stop. It is no, fine, just let me guys. quickly tell you. So we do our show, uh, Fast Money, in New York City's Times Square, obviously yeah. a very busy area. And I make a point each show of going outside and finding some like wrapper or bottle or something and yeah. throwing it away. And the thought process there is if everybody did that, you just think about it. If everybody did that, think about how much better the world would be. So you know what? You got to sort of, as they say, think globally, act locally. Anyway, yeah, but sorry. Think about this though. Think about what sort of sociopath would just take like their full lunch in a plastic bag and just chuck it on the ground. And I was behind a car 
uh, on the Jersey Turnpike, uh, I want to say about a few months ago, and some lady just opened her window and just chucked a big gulp right out the window. I mean, like, who does that? Back, right. back in the 70s, there was a commercial, I, I don't oh, know if yeah. you remember, the Native American, and yeah. people would just throw shit out yeah. their window. And that was, by the way, as the French say, de rigueur. That was everybody did it. And yeah. you think about it, it's like it, people would throw their garbage out their window in a moving car. It's nuts. Anyway, sorry, Amanda. You saw the rundown. You saw where we are. Paul Tudor Jones, I call him PTJ. He was on the uh, one of those shows, the Squawk Squawking Box Friends. or something, yeah. Squawking Friends this morning. And, you know, look, he's not dr- as draconian as I am, and he's not hyperbolic in any way. But, you know, what he is saying is the current path is unsustainable. And you can read this, but, you know, this is something we've been saying for a while. And he also said, in terms of the market, it's not a question of when it manifests itself, but Excuse me, not if, if it manifests itself, but when. And I happen to agree with that. You know, it's funny. So, guy, you said he, you know, he's not hyperbolic or this and whatever. You know, the fact is, if he were charged with speaking to investors every day, his investors, okay, um, he'd probably be sounding the same way every day. You just said mm-hmm. he's not dogmatic like me or this and whatever. I mean, listen, one of the things that we do, and I think the the folks who show up every day, they realize that we show up every day. Like that's what we're doing here with Rich Virtual Media on Market Call every day, on On the Tape, on OK Computer. So we're not just going to be like changing our tune as the wind blows. And so the fact that you only get to hear from Paul Tudor Jones, the billionaire, the guy who's been owning the market for 40 years, you know, once a quarter or twice a quarter. And you're like, all right, well, he's just dropping in. Listen, if he was, if he had a mic in front of him every day, he'd probably be sounding the same way, you know? So I don't know, man. Like I I find it interesting. It's all fair, but you know, again, I'm not suggesting you have to agree with him. That's not my point, but you have, when, when people of that magnitude, you know, the, the people that have reached that status, when they make comments like this, and people say he's talking his book, well, well, he might be. And you, quite frankly, you well, want you him to talk his book. Exactly. I mean, but that's another conversation. My point is, you could say, you know what, PTJ, you're off base. The world's different. You're a relic from a bygone era, all those things. With that said, you got to at least respect the man's opinion and take it w- with whatever, however many grains of salt that you want, Dan Nathan. Yeah. And I, listen, I'll just say the last thing, okay? Because we're going to spend some time on what's going on in the market, in the stock market in particular. But what I see going on right now, and you and I did a podcast with Liz Young. You guys should check it out in your favorite podcast store or whatever you get your podcast on the tape yeah, this morning. I have my favorite. It just dropped a little bit ago. Um, on on the back end of that, Liz uh, interviewed uh, Mike Wilson. He's the head strategist, equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, and David Zervos at the iConnections conference mm-hmm. last week. So we put that in there. But our conversation was the A block. And listen, man, I mean, some of the things that are going on right now are very reminiscent, guys, of the you know the lead up into the S and P getting cut in half in 08, and the lead up to the S and P getting cut in half from its highs in 2000 to its lows in 02. The concentration that you think we've been dogmatic talking about every day. Here's the thing: you are losing some of those names one by one. This morning, Tesla was down 60 or six percent, down nearly 60 percent from its all time highs. You know, just two years ago. And so that's out of that uh, Fab 7 or Mag 7, whatever the hell it is. You know, you're losing some of these things. So when you see NVIDIA up 45% in a month, 
gaining three quarters of a trillion dollars in market cap and no one's asking questions and people are piling in, that stock gapped up 4% this morning on no news. And people think that's normal on a day where you see the Russell 2000 down 1.5% can't join the party. Lots of sectors can't join. And that's normal, guy? I mean, so to me, I'll, I'll yell and scream. I don't manage your money. I'm not your, your fund manager. I'm not your, your uh, you know, RIA or stockbroker or this and whatever. You know, we got a mic. We think we know what we're doing here. But, like, what's going on right now is really dangerous. So yeah. the point that you made about 0809, guy, is you don't want people doing the dumbest shit at the worst opportune time. Right. Exactly right. And I and and I'd be I really wouldn't be able to sleep at night if, God forbid, something were to happen were to happen. And I had not expressed views that sort of outlined or gave the potential for those things to happen. And, you know, and I'm not wish you know, I want to be crystal clear here. I'm not wishing for them to happen, but we've been around long enough that the level of complacency out there, the seemingly, you know, the lack of bare arguments out there, it's almost it almost forces me, and I'm just speaking for myself now, to try to be the counter. Maybe that's sort of the path that I've taken over all these years. But, you know, everybody's raising their pom-poms. You know, I don't want to be one of those cheerleaders. And by the way, you know, I think Doug Cass is watching. You know, again, say what you want about Doug. I happen to love him as do you. You know, he's, a bit, he's had a short position in Tesla for quite some time, and he's been talking about the potential for this. And he gets things wrong, and he gets things right. But that's the nature of trading, right? You're not always going to, and people say at best you're right 50% of the time. I will tell you in our world, if you're right 50% of the time, you're in the friggin' Hall of Fame. I mean, trading is an extraordinarily difficult thing. Anyway, let's take a look at yields because you talk about the mark. This is what's fascinating to me. If I don't know what's going on, it's clear that the bond market doesn't know what's going on either because. On the course of a couple of weeks, you know, we had yields go from four and a quarter down to about 380, back to four and whatever we are now, 415, 416. The bond market is saying, you know what, we don't know exactly what's going on at these levels either. Um, I'm still one of the few people that think correctly for a period of time, incorrectly since probably the fall, that yields are going to continue to go up. I think we have $8.9 trillion of treasuries uh, expiring over the next year or something that they're, they're going to have to sort of sell out there. And you have to ask yourself, who is the buyer of these treasuries? Clearly, the Chinese are not in a position to probably do so. And quite frankly, they've probably been reducing. So one of the reasons that I thought yields could go higher, one, because I thought inflation would continue to be sticky, which sort of has. And two, because I thought, again, it was a supply-demand thing. And with all the supply coming to market, I thought the market would demand higher yields, Dan Nathan. Yeah, so those two points are really interesting, right? So if we do have a breakout guy above that range that we've been in for, let's call it the last month and a half or so, and we are uh, you know, headed back towards four and a quarter, you know, Fed Chair Powell speaking to Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes mm -hmm. last night, okay, and obviously this was recorded on Thursday, so the day after um, the Fed presser, you know, they talked about, they went back and forth a little bit on what would be the causes, right, for cuts and, and how might you measure the progress on inflation. He he was obviously very clear about the fact they want to make sure that they are clear that they are on the path to two. He was asked the question as he was in his presser on Wednesday, whether the inflation has to get to 2%, right? Before they start cutting, he was very clear that was not the case. They just need more confidence. Now to your point about yields right here, going higher, and you've been in the higher camp of late, if they were to go higher, because inflation worries about a hot economy, about all these sorts of things, you know, ultimately, 
I don't know how equities play out because they don't look, look at what's going on with the S and P. It doesn't budge on a day like today where the mm-hmm. Dixie, the dollar is up like this. Look at that, that, that uptrend that it's held like a boss here. Like, so if the next question and Pelly did ask the question is that if tighter monetary policy, right. will cause the economy to slow. Then the point is how quickly do you move then? I mean, I guess I don't know, but the point is there's a lot of complacency about all of this right now. And so, who knows, man? I mean, like to me, I just feel it's really interesting because I think a lot of folks out there are really comfortable with that really hot jobs report. They're really comfortable with GDP, you know, doubling what the Fed has signaled that they expect GDP to be in 2024, right? And it seems like we've reached this kind of new world order mm-hmm. about you know our, our economy and, and what's going on. Usually, when you start justifying that sort of stuff, something bad is about to happen in the markets. No, listen, I'm I'm with you. And again, the, the question that I would well, it doesn't matter what I would have asked or not. But I think one of the obvious questions is if things are going as well as you indicate they're going, why there why is there any need whatsoever to cut rates? I mean, you know, we we this economy was able to sort of pers- not persist but thrive in a higher interest rate environment for quite some time. You know. I think that we've become so indoctrinated and so used to low rates that we think we can't deal without them. I think, quite frankly, not that I'm in line for the Fed chair, but I, 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 as long as things are sort of status quo, I mean, the unemployment is under control. GDP is moving the right way. Inflation is going higher, but at a, at a lesser rate than it's been. So things are trending all in the right direction. At this point, there, I don't see any reason to cut rates unless something bad happened. And you know, he talked about New York Community Bank, uh, Mr. P- with Mr. Pelly being sort of uh, idiosyncratic to them, which it may in fact be. But you know, it's uh, that bank had a hundred billion dollars of assets, and if you think that's the only bank out there with yeah. those types of risks, I think you're just not paying attention. Yeah, well, you're paying attention. All right, let's. Uh, I know Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting has been paying attention. Let's bring him in, Carter. Thank you for being. Uh, patient here. Like, like, let me ask you this, Carter. Um, do you feel what we feel that it, it's a little weird right now in the markets, right? Like the fact that we have yields up as much as they have been over the last couple of days, the Dixie's rallying here, you know, the S and P is very near an all time high, but, and we're going to talk about some of those individual names that are doing different things. But again, it's the same kind con- the fact that Nvidia gapped up three and a half percent today, it's gained three quarters of a trillion dollars in market cap in a month, you know, we're, it's just the semis right now. And, and a couple of those, you know, call it fab five, if you will talk to us a little bit, uh, just your vibe coming into this week. Sure. So for every drop and gap, and we certainly have seen those associated with earnings, Google or McDonald's today, there have been two up thrusts, heavy volume up thrusts with gaps associated with news. And those have been the bigger trades, right? Meta, IBM, um, even J.P. Morgan, uh, Netflix, and it goes on and on. Um, but what's remarkable is that despite all of that, that we're still at the same level we were two years ago. So that's the part that is just very not bullish. With all of these new highs, 52-week highs and all-time highs from marquee names, how is it possible that the Russell 3000, which again, represents 98% of the investable U.S. equity market is essentially the same price it was in January of 2022, or now February of 2024. It is 25 basis points higher than where it was more than two years ago. Um, And so that is the irony. There's also, there are two types of moves in markets, right? They're developmental moves and they're exploitative moves. 
these moves, when you have these kind of gapping up from ASML and Netflix again and IBM and uh, NVIDIA and so forth, uh, you, you've exploited a, a great deal of the potential that existed in that stock. And so much of the moves in the market have been exploitative, and there haven't been an offsetting number of developmental moves so that the market only goes higher because individual securities are in a position to go higher or do go higher. But once you've shot your shot, so to speak, yes, you don't, you're not in a position to help the market. So in fact, you're in a position if and as you fade, IBM is fading, right? Meta is fading, Netflix is fading. You're in a position to hurt the market, not help. And so you see there on the Russell 3000, we're, we're unchanged. These stocks that have gapped up like that, that's, thank you for including, are all uh, drifting uh, lower. And so the point is that after a big re-rating like that, you have this phenomenon where you're getting give back or you, but you don't follow through. And the key is that you can't count on IBM or Meta or Netflix to help the market from here. They either back and fill as Meta is mm -hmm. doing, or they give back as IBM is doing, which, uh, leaves you just in the hands of the rest of the market. And while there's a Caterpillar today, which is up uh, and news related, uh, pull up um, um, APD, for instance. Let's do a one-year chart of APD. Uh, this is what you'd call a drop in gap. Let's do a one-year. This is a major chemical company, major, 57 billion market cap for a day. Uh, there's always this side of the trade too. The opposite of a breakout is a breakdown hovering ominously at 52-week lows or just above and then breaking. That is the reciprocal to what happened in Meta. But the point is, more of the moves have been up, and I'll end it here. We don't have fuel for the market if we've already had our champions shoot their shots. When I was a kid, uh, by the way, shooting the shots, I saw Bill Bradley last night on uh, Bruce Beck anyway. But when I was a kid, there was Mad Magazine, and I used to like Spy versus Spy. So in this case, you brought with you SPY versus QQQ, which is, you know, if you had asked me what I thought this would look like, I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't have said it was this close a correlation, but, you know, charts don't like their CBW. Yeah. So the hope here was to try to articulate in very clear, simple fashion, two colors, two lines, the important takeaway, which is that the Qs have not outperformed. So this goes back to the peak in the market in late 21, early 22. And so on a risk-adjusted basis, the purple line is a friggin' disaster. And what that means is if you're even money with something else, and essentially they are, but your drawdown was much worse. It was. How much worse? The drawdown in the S&P was 27% peak to October trough of 2022, it was 37% for the Qs. And so that's what alpha or beta adjusted risk is all about. Despite them being the same, the winner is SPY. Let's look at this another way. Instead of two lines, let's look at a ratio. This depicts it a different way. This is one divided by the other, which gives you a relative strength, a relative performance line. The Qs are essentially identical to where they were two years plus ago, so that one has endured the volatility down and then back up only to be in line with the S&P, which is to say an inferior investment use versus spies on a two-year basis. So Carter, does that have something to do with the concentration? Again, six stocks, make, you know, seven stocks make up 50% of that weight of a hundred index versus let's say those same six or seven stocks make up 25% or, you know, maybe got up to 30 or so mm -hmm. of the S&P 
500? Is it just a, just a it map? Is that, but also the big names like Adobe are much bigger, yeah. right? Waiting in the queues that's not in the top 10 than it is obviously in the S&P. And those also have had incredible drawdowns of 50, 60% from the people yeah. versus the market at 27. So Carter, we're going to throw up just the, the, the formerly mag seven. I think we're going to retire that um, because again, you can just see what's going on here. Um, you know, Microsoft truly extraordinary, $3 trillion in market cap greater than that of Apple. Apple is really stuck sideways. That was your call um, last week. You see the alphabet, despite disappointing results, the stock has kind of bounced a little bit in, in sympathy, I guess, with what Meta had to say, which is kind of interesting to me. Amazon blew out yesterday. The NVIDIA thing, we don't really need to get into right here. Um, we're going to talk about that in a second uh, with the trade. The test Okay. It, it's just, you, you, you had a very bearish call on that. We have had a bearish fundamental call on that. Let's just pull up this chart. This is versus, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the QQQ or the NASDAQ 100. I mean, this divergence is pretty astounding for a stock that was not long ago, you know, um, trading pretty well, you know what I mean? On a relative basis, not well, but like, what is the potential to see some of like more of those former mag seven stocks to do this. Cause this is how the QQQ comes undone, right? If we continue to see these sorts of individual divergences. Sure. And obviously you're not going to get this kind of divergence with, um, with an Apple. Uh, there's a lot of autocorrelation, right? You're comparing one thing to another. And one of the things you're comparing to right? when we do this kind of work and I do it all the time is also in the other, uh, other line, right? So, um, but the point is that this is a function, really, not so much of the recent divergence, which is really so how much Tesla outperformed, right? So if you did a five-year comparative chart, Tesla's, you know, off the charts in terms of how much it's outperformed the Qs. But Tesla's the one that's really under pressure, and it, why it's not comparable, of course, because the other ones have these, uh, you know, moat-like balance sheets. They also have, I mean, in many ways, you could say Microsoft's utility. You want to operate for business with an office where you got a desk and a chair, you got to pay Microsoft some money, right? I mean, so these are very stable. Uh, Tesla is a highly cyclical business in selling cars. Uh, I know that one day that the battery company in the world and all this other stuff, and God bless, but right now it's a cyclical business that's on the ropes. NVIDIA right now, as I'm looking, $1.7 trillion, up another 4% today, broached seven, well, got close, 694 and three quarters or so. And here we are now, builds on itself every day. I think Goldman Sachs, Dan, you know this, and Carter had a note out. I think they said it could trade up to $800. So now, and listen, they might be right. You have analysts tripping over themselves, like who can best in terms of raising their price targets. And again, NVIDIA is an extraordinarily um, powerful, important company. But when you see moves, by the way, the moves, this has been going on since what, the spring of last year when you had that gap? So you know, this has been unabated now for the better part of a year, which I find completely fascinating. And I think you're going to have a day where, you know, I think the average volume in the stock is about 40 million shares. You're going to have a day where it trades, you know, north of 100 million shares, maybe makes a new all-time high, reverses a little bit. And that could be the sign that maybe things are starting to get ahead of themselves, Dan. Well, it's funny. You know, I thought today was going to be that day. Could be still. You know, the way it gapped up, the way it reversed, if they want to pull up just an intraday for a second here. And, you know, I want to go back to January 5th. Um, I went on Fast Money. The stock, this stock was trading at um, 
490. And, you know, you talked about that gap guy from last year, but like, okay, so, we, you know, it almost filled in today's gap, right? So now let's go back, but, but it, you know, got back going on its horse here. Let's go back to that other chart. It really did consolidate between 400 and, and 500 for, you know, the better part of five or six months, really out, underperforming the NASDAQ. Remember Jan 5th, I went on Fast money. I said, this is, you know, I'm just channeling my my inner Carter Worth here, Carter, because that's all we do when it comes to the technicals a little bit. I was like, this thing poised for a breakout. And I know you were in the same camp and, you know, like, but I didn't think it was going to, you know, like, you know, $700 in a straight line. And so also, you know, in front of Tesla's results, and we had been very bearish on the fundamentals. We've been bearish on, you've been bearish on the technicals, but we've been highlighting the chart also too, Carter, in different ways. You know, it was just horrible into the print. And we detailed a collar trade if you were long. And that was for you people who are long, okay? We're not long it, okay? And, and, and we don't like it, okay? But we we're saying, here's a way to protect your gains into what might be a post-earnings volatile period and, and specifically to the downside. So let's look at NVIDIA right here. I actually think this thing sets up brilliantly. So Goldman, the best house on the street, just put the highest target on the street on the best stock in the market, okay? I think this is probably, if you're long this stock after this thing has gained three quarters of a trillion dollars in market cap in a month, it would make sense to protect it. So let's look at a collar here. So today, when the stock is trading at 685, I'd look down to April expiration, give myself some time. I'd look up at the calls and I'd say to myself, yeah. okay, I could sell the April 785 call. One of those versus 100 shares long, okay, that's appreciated dramatically at any point in which you've bought it over the last year, right? I could sell that call at about 25 bucks. I could use the $25 in premium and I could look down in April expiration. The 625 put costs about 25 bucks, okay? So I would have gains in the stock from here, 685 up to 785 between now and April expiration of about $100, okay? My stock would get called away above that on April expiration. I can always cover that short call and keep my long stock position, but I have to remember why I sold that call. I sold it to finance the purchase of a downside mm -hmm. put. So I'd have losses in the stock from 685 down to 625, okay? But I'd be protected below that. All right, now here's the deal. Look at that. Stock's up $100. I can sell a call for $25 for the same price I can buy a put down $60. The skew is mm -hmm. to the calls. Something is skewed here, people. There's too much excitement to the upside. The options market is giving long holders the opportunity to protect to the downside. So if you are not considering this sort of strategy, you are not considering moving your feet after the stock has rallied $200 in a straight line in a month, you're probably not doing it right. And you know what? I had a friend of mine, he's a really smart guy, been very successful in the markets. He's long this stock. I kind of pitched this kind of trade strategy to him earlier today. And he said, you know the drill, Carter. You know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And it made me think that he's maybe thinking about moving his feet a little bit on the position. Thoughts, Carter, on, I know you know the options market fairly well you know the technical setup you know momentum you know sentiment what do you think about doing something like this if you're learning? i mean this is the only way to fly i mean so the underlying stock one has to come to a judgment about not valuation <laughs> not not 24 month uh cash flow but as the current move which is massive having been at 500 just a month ago and now it's 700 is this pricing in and then discounting all that's known or knowable three to six months out you cannot price in 12 months 
or 24 months, that's that's streaming. But can we can we price in next week, two weeks? It's not going to keep gapping like this. This is not the behavior of money. And so uh, this is the kind of thing uh, one should be doing. Absolutely. So you think about it, if you want if you want to do it sort of a layman's terms, Dan mentioned that sort of the skew in terms of calls versus puts. You could just say, okay, it's not, I'm rounding now. But for $95 to the upside costs you the same thing effectively as $65 or so dollars to the downside, give or take, right? So then you start to do that math and say, okay, why is it skewed? And then you can go back and look historically, what has the skew been? I don't, I can't answer that, but I'm here to tell you that it's probably pushing towards the outer end of what we've seen historically in terms of the put call uh, premium out there. So that's something to take into consideration and forget about that. Just say, what is that telling you? Well, it's telling you exactly what Dan outlined, that everybody is sort of geared the same way in the stock right now. And they've been right to be so. But at a certain point, everybody gets to one side of that boat. That boat has a way of sort of tipping over. Yeah. And, and again, you know, like we're highlighting this. If I highlighted this, you know, two weeks ago, you you would have been called away or at least you'd be, you know, you know, you'd be that, that call, that short call would be in the money. So timing is important. Using hedges around long core positions, being tactical is important. Right. And one of the things we're trying to highlight is, is that things got a little crazy. Could things get crazier? Sure. But every 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 magnitude, every you know you know move from you know what I mean from normality increases the risk of the upside. So to me, um, I, I think we're almost there. Um, so Carter, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go into a sector that you know in the healthcare space there are some things going on there that feel a little bit unnatural to long-term healthcare investors. This is supposed to be kind of a sleepy space, not in the biotech space, but um, in the pharma space. And if you look at what's going on in the pharma space, there's two stocks now, Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly that make up over a trillion dollars in market cap. They're on the cusp of one of the biggest mega trends that has existed in a very long time in the healthcare space. You see some M&A there, you know, they're on it here, man. And so like, to me, it's obviously drawn a lot of attention to some of the other names um, in the space. You want to take a look at the space, the XLV in particular. Obviously, this is the big pharma space. Talk to us what you're seeing here and obviously relative to the broad market. Right. So I guess what about 65 stocks um, compose the S&P 500 healthcare sector, Lily being 10%. I guess it's probably United Healthcare at nine and J&J at seven. It goes down from there, Burke and so forth. But if we were to just look at... Uh, <laughs> The, the charts in you know, a comparative basis, one thing to point out is how much healthcare has lagged. So this is a 10-year chart. And uh, remarkably, or one would say maybe not remarkably, because it's it's been a very big period for equities in general, that a, a sleepier, lower beta, more conservative, more defensive area would lag, but it's lagged almost the tune of two to one, two colors, two lines. If we look at the chart of the XLV itself, um, so the question is, is this sideways action for now almost three years? Is this good consolidation of the 2020 COVID low surge to the high of 2021 backing and filling? And it's the pause that refreshes or is this what a top is? My hunch is it's the pause that refreshes. So let's annotate it that way. One way to draw the lines another way to draw the lines. Uh, and so is this ultimately something that breaks out? I think because of how much it's lagged the S&P, that gives you a lot of cover. And it's an area that in the simplest form, I would be overweight, right? You have to pick sort of overweights and underweights as a general manager benchmark to the S&P 500. And so in this case, 
overweight by virtue of one, how much it's lagged. S&P is up almost double the performance of the healthcare on a 10-year basis, and how uh, good this consolidation is in the context of the preceding strength. It's interesting. I mean, I think right now, given the move, I think uh, Lily is about 11% of the XLV. I think J&J is second, if memory serves. I think Merck is maybe third or fourth. Um, so keep that in mind. UNH might be number two. So what you bet, I mean, Carter knows this, you know this as well, Dan, if if you believe Carter, which by the way, I do, almost by definition, you have to think that Lily's going to continue or at least not cascade lower. And then some of these other names going to pick it up. Now, Merck has rallied probably 26% over the last month and a half. You know, J&J, you can take a look at that if you want. It hasn't been particularly interesting. The one that sort of scares me is UNH, not because of anything that UNH did, but you, know, you think about what's going on with Humana, some of these other names, there's some tape bombs out there that could potentially happen. But short of that, I mean, that, you know, that to me looks like something that wants to continue that trajectory, especially, Dan, if there's some rotation out of these high-flying NASDAQ names. Yeah. And it's funny. It's hard to kind of put your finger on, Guy, to your point about where money would rotate to, right? It's clearly not rotating into the Russell 2000. It doesn't even matter. The Russell 2000 is the size of Microsoft or Apple. Guy, uh, Carter's made that point um, on many occasions. So that doesn't really help out. If you look at the way banks trade, the BKX is still down 15% from its year levels. The KRE, which Carter, you had a great short call on, we highlighted last week on Fast Money, um, you know, is still down you know, 27%. And it seems like we're not out of the woods there. Industrials have their whole host of problems. You know, consumer confidence numbers are screaming, but we keep hearing stuff that doesn't make you feel too good. And, and this brings me to McDonald's. You know, this is this is one that, um, you know, Kai, you've been highlighting the potential from a technical standpoint of a double top, right? And so um, if you look at how this stock is trading today after its results, Guy, how many companies have we heard who've kind of flagged, whether for good reason or bad, or good reason or, or right, whether we believe them or not, you know, the Middle East conflict, which seems pretty contained right now, despite what we just had happen over the last few days, you know, since Friday with us bombing some 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 sites in Yemen and, and Syria yeah. and Iraq. But this this headline. We've seen this for digital advertising, right? We've seen this across a lot of consumer-oriented companies over the last few months. Look, I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say, ah, they're just pulling, but, you know, they're not actually. You know, if you go back historically, McDonald's isn't a company that necessarily sort of, I don't want to say make things up, but they don't sort of uh, hide behind, you know, let's call it FX headwinds or those types of things or one less day in the month you know, the historic uh, excuses that companies make that don't hold water. So the fact that they're saying the importance of this Middle East conflict to their business, to your point, amplifies what a lot of other companies are probably seeing as well. And that's something you have to take into consideration. Now, in terms of McDonald's, personally, I think it's a bit of an overreaction. With that said, though, you know, technically it got to a level that we failed at before. It's had a tremendous run and people will start to look at valuation and maybe being concerned. We're at the moving average. You know, I think you probably take a look at this, but I wanted to high we wanted to highlight that because of the reasons given, not necessarily, you know, what McDonald's is saying in terms of the economy or those types of things. Yeah, C B dubs, what do you what do you make of this thing? Obviously, you know, yeah. I, I put this in the camp though, just just to be really clear, you know, last fall, this thing fell off the the you know what I mean, fell off the chart, right? And and so it, we saw a lot of consumer oriented names that had the same sort of activity, but now it's breaking down. Yeah. Um uh 
So a couple of things. The the sell-off obviously is is severe, um, and yet it's contained at the same time on a one-day basis. When say there's a big PL loss here, but really instead of breaking out, and that is a prospect here, it has broken down. But the breakdown is not an Archer Daniels type breakdown, or a, or again an an Air Products type breakdown. It seems contained, and I, I think this goes in the pair of twos category. I would point out that the S and P five hundred restaurant sub industry group, which picks up things like Chipotle and Starbucks, and Dar, not to mention the Russell three thousand uh, restaurant group, picks up a lot more. Um, the relative performance has been poor uh, for months, and it's just gotten a little bit worse today. Hey Carter, really, really quickly. I'm just curious. Um, any, any other like, like, like I was looking at like a Coinbase guy. This is one that you and I maybe these guys could pull it up. It was down, you know, earlier eight percent. You know, maybe seven percent or so now. Uh, Mizzou who came out and said no, it's down more than that. Um, came out and said, oh yeah, well, you know, these spot ETFs, the not great for um, you know, Coinbase and yeah, a lot of them, you know, they'll be a a, a, a trusted custodial, but all you know, Coinbase has had its run because of the spreads, because of the, the 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 fees that they make. You know, guy, we could draw a line from that high over the summer and we're probably quick approaching there. Um, you know, like do some of these stories as we see them kind of come undone, do they do they help form a little bit of a, mer- a narrative? You know, we talked in 2021 where some of the most speculative stuff started to come undone, w- you know, regardless of what the S&P 500 was doing. So I'm just curious, Carter, in your work, are you starting to see some of this sort of stuff come undone a little bit? That is much yeah. Well, there's a lot of it. This is a classic example of uh, how uh, many IPOs are really, uh, it's a caveat emptor, buyer beware. Uh, why would you go public if it was such a great thing? Keep it for yourself. And so uh, I would say another way, this stock's very first day was its best day at 400. It's been going down ever since it was issued to the public. Um, just it's not the kind of thing I want to be involved with. And if you have to be involved, I'd rather be short than long. Look at the moving average. I think it's 92 or so. And I know we talked about this on Fast Money. We're actually constructive on this late last year and we thought it could trade and this is just blind luck but you know i thought it could trade back to the april 2022 high which was about 186 bucks or so if you go back and look um and that's exactly what there you go that's exactly pretty much where we got to and failed so that made sense and this subsequent sell-off actually makes sense as well it's happened faster than i thought quite frankly but here we are so i think the question is you know carter says you could probably short it here you're probably right if you're looking for an entry point, though, that moving average is going to continue to sort of uptick each day. It gets down about 93 bucks or so. I think that's you're entering for a long position and you trade it from there. Yeah, and I just highlighted one, not not that it's so important to the broad market, but I just think it's interesting to pick out some of these names that are obviously retail darlings and, and you know, traded valuations that, uh, you know, some people might not um, kind of uh, appreciate if there's uh, ever a focus again on valuations. But again, I, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Um, all right, Guy, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Carter, we did. That was a fun. That was a fun show. Dubs, you're the man. I always love right, when you man. come on. It's Monday. We're powering through. Rangers play tonight, by the way. I know you folks were waiting for that. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche in town. Hopefully, that's a precursor to a Stanley Cup final later this year. We shall see. Uh, I want to thank, obviously, Faxet. I want to thank Carterworth. Thank the audience. Thank our crack staff behind the scenes. And we'll be back tomorrow, Dan Nathan, yeah, on the CME day. Oh, hey, and by the way, 
Carter, we got to get you an Insta because, you know, the, the risk reversal media squad, we're putting out a lot of content on the, on the Instagram. We're previewing what we're focused on on the pods. You can follow guy at guy. Donna I am Dan S Nathan risk reversal media. Can you, can you get the kids in your home maybe to set you up? I an can. Yeah. Someone wants to show me how to do it, but I can. All, I right, will. Fair enough. And we'll All, put right. You on. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank we'll you. see you tomorrow. Bye.